Well, if you haven't already, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And we've been in this series that we've entitled, The Good Life. And we've been looking at this book that was written by uh, King Solomon at the end of his life, after an incredible life of prestige and possessions and pleasure and and all manner of good fortune. And, And at the end of his life, in his older years of living, he asks some of the most fundamental questions that we need to ask as human beings. Does it all really matter? All that we involve ourselves in, all of the work that we do, all of the pursuit of of getting the most out of this life and the most out of this world, when we are near the day of our departure in death, does it really matter? And over and over again, we are learning that nothing under the sun really matters if it's done separate from a loving an intimate and close relationship with our Creator God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And what God has longed for us since the beginning is that you and I would experience the good life. The good life that is lived in fellowship and in relationship to our Savior and Lord. But sadly, too often we are tempted to be distracted. Too often we are tempted to detour from God's loving plan and purpose for our lives. And we find ourselves living for self. And Solomon, after all these years, says living for self did not bring the contentment, the fulfillment, and the ultimate satisfaction that I was looking for. And so he writes this book, and he writes to his posterity, and he says, listen, people, you will not find it in this world, that good life that you're looking for. So turn your affections, turn your attention to God and Him alone. And as Jesus says, as we seek Him first in His kingdom, all of the other things that we're worried about, all the other things that we think we're looking for will be added to us in God's good timing and in His good way. And so we've been going through the comings and goings of life, looking through this lens, is God a part of it? Or am I simply on a treadmill going through the motions of work and life and family and marriage and hobbies and hardships and doing all of these things apart from God and in them at the end of it just busying myself not really moving to any real place of conclusion or a place of good. Now what Solomon does is he turns our attention to this moment, to this moment in our week. For much of the book of Ecclesiastes, much of it is written about the other 167 hours of our week, our work, our sleep, uh, our times with family, our times with friends, our, our times dealing with the monotonous things of life, the times where we have the momentous moments of life, all of them in those 167 hours around this one hour. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he talks about, notice in verse 1, when you go to the house of God. Well, that's what you've done this morning. You have come to the house of God. It's different than what it was when Solomon writes this. He's writing and he's saying, when you go to the temple. But for us today, while God, 
lives and resides through the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us who are saved, there is this special sacred moment where we gather together in a place and in a time that is devoted to the glory and the ascribing of worth and love and affection to the God of this universe. We do so because Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that it was God Himself who put eternity on our hearts. So as followers of God, followers of Christ, who recognize that we are not just living in the here and now, we are not just living for this moment, but for an eternity to come, we now are struck by the truth that we have a lot to worry about, we have a lot to think about, we have a lot to worship about because the God who created us didn't just create us for a handful of years. He created us for an eternity so that we might have a relationship with Him. And He says, when we gather, when we worship, you can't let it just be going through the motions. You can't let it just be something you do. You can't let it be something that after your life is done here, you look back to all of the time, all of the energy, all of the money, all of the service that you expended in the name of God, and it didn't get you one step closer in your relationship to Him. And I'll tell you at the end of this message why this is near and dear to Solomon's heart. Because Solomon had gone through the motions. Solomon had done, from an external vantage point, great things for God. He had built the temple. But it didn't get him any closer to God. And so he writes, before it's too late, the people who call themselves God's followers, I want you to do some things, because if you don't, your time in this place and in this moment will be an utter waste of time. It will garner you nothing. It will be as every other pursuit in life. It will be meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. And so notice what Solomon says starting in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a, a fool's voice with many words." When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not uh, vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow, many there is grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one whom you must fear. If you underline in your Bible, I would underline verse 7. For God is the one whom you must fear. So he finishes this passage by giving us the reason why we need to be on guard. Because God is 
the eternal, immortal, invisible God, the God who created heavens and the earth, the God who created you and I, desires a relationship with Him. So when we approach this God, we should not do it in a thoughtless manner. It should not be routine for us. Now, what he isn't saying is is that we've got to somehow conjure up some passion, some experience, some moment that is foreign to us. What I mean by that is what God longs for is for the same desire that we have to pursue the pleasures of this world and the possessions of this world and the prestige of this world and, and all that this world has to offer, some of us, God is looking at us and He's saying, I wish they had that kind of passion for me. I wish they would dedicate that kind of time to me. I wish they would get that excited about me. I wish they would give, uh, as they do to those things, that they would give to me. You see, this is why God says, I am a jealous God. God is the one who has given us life and breath and everything. And He says, when you approach me, guard yourself. Am I not different than everything else in this world? And so what Solomon has said is the fool, instead of worshiping God, worships all manner of other things. I'm going to illustrate this in a moment. I want to be careful because I'm going to use one illustration. And I want to be careful. You could really turn anything of this world into it. But I want to use the illustration of football for a moment. It is Sunday. And it is between the months of September and January. And here in America, it's time for the NFL. And I love football. And I'm blown away at how much people love football with me. It is a religion in and of itself. Let, let me explain. People love to watch football. Their online campus numbers are phenomenal. Okay? It's hard for you to see, but notice this is the local television ratings for football. The top one is New Orleans. When the New Orleans Saints are on the TV, 45% of all TVs in the New Orleans metro area are tuned into that game. 45%, okay? So we go to Chicago and we're like, well, our team stinks, okay? But on any given Sunday, 30% of all televisions in the Chicago metro area are tuned into that one channel, to that one event. A third of televisions are tuned into this. It is the king of all watching experiences. The next slide will tell you that when it comes to all watching on all devices, the top 15 shows that were watched or streamed last year were all football games. All football games. So you say, huh, you know, no one really watches them, Pastor. You're making uh, this up. No, this is why, by the way, advertisers spend more money on football commercials than they do any other commercials throughout the week of entertainment. But then the question is, well, okay, so we watch it. It's free. We don't have to pay for it and all of that. Uh, but what about the games? 
So uh, today, more than 1.9 million people are going to go to a professional uh, football game today. There would be more, but there's just not enough games for them to go to. And the reason why is, notice this slide will show you. You know, I keep forgetting this one, Stephen. I'm sorry. We spend four hours watching football, by the way. Four hours a week, okay? We're dedicating a lot of time and attention to this. Let's go to the next one. So the capacity of the, of the uh, stadiums. So let's, let's look. The most highest number of uh, capacity is the Dallas Cowboys. They built a $1.5 billion stadium some years ago so that people could come and watch the games. Uh, the stadium alone seats about 90,000 people. What they're saying is, is that uh, during the year, their attendance rate is 105%. That means anytime they open the door, they're already at capacity. In fact, it's standing room only. Now that goes up to 113% if they make the playoffs. I want you to go down to the Chicago Bears. The Bears are terrible. The Bears have been terrible. Amen? Okay, they're bad. They are one of the worst teams in football right now. I want you to notice, on the years they're really bad, notice the number. They still sell out. They still sell out. What does that tell you about this? It tells you in the good, the bad, and the ugly, we will go and pay money and give time and attention whether what we see on the field is good or bad. It doesn't matter. We are dedicated to this endeavor. Now, when we go, we spend lots of money. So notice the next slide. When we go to the Bears game, it will cost us for two tickets, a parking uh, pass, and two drinks, $272. $272. So we're willing to put out money. That doesn't include uh, the tolls to drive there and get there, the $17 a gallon gas that you're paying to put in your car. Um, it doesn't involve any of the souvenirs that your kids want you to bring back because you didn't take them to the game. Okay? See, this is a, a in the hundreds of dollars thing. And it is no wonder that when you go there, spending that money, investing that time in, in stadiums today at this very moment at 11.25 a.m., people are gathered at the stadium. And they're out in the parking lot because they're so excited. They want to fellowship with others and be a part of the experience. The game's not going to start for another hour, but they want to be there and they want to be a part of the moment. As they're traveling on the buses and the trains coming to it, they're seeing one another. They're wearing the same jerseys. They're cheering the same cheers. They're singing the songs to their team. And then they make sure that long before the game has started... They're there in their seats. They have the food brought to them because they don't want to leave their seat. They will test the limits of their bladder to make sure that they don't miss a moment of the action. And they will stay no matter what the score is until the end of the game. And then they'll get in their cars and they'll turn on the post-game show and hear about all of the nuance that they missed. And then they will get into their cars on Monday morning and turn on sports talk. And for the first three days of the week, they'll hear about last week's game. And then around Thursday, we pivot to next week's game. And they'll go and on and on we go. For a game of which I love, 
that will burn in the end. That is temporal. And God sees this. And okay, take football out of the equation. It's the only one, the example I came up with. But what in your life is God looking down and saying, I wish you would give that time to me, that attention to me, that passion, that excitement, that exuberance, that dedication to. And I'm the one, not football, not your hobby, not that relationship, not that workplace. I am the one who has given you life, breath, and everything you need to live in my world. So what Solomon says is in light of this, notice the opening words, guard your steps. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now Solomon is writing something that was indicative of the life of the uh, Jewish worshiper. Jewish worship did not begin when you got to Jerusalem and you entered into Solomon's temple. It started when you left your house. And on the journey, there were psalms of ascent. Psalms as you made your way to worship that you would dedicate yourself to and involve yourself with, that you would be prepared and ready because when you got to the temple, the house of the God where God resided, there was no playing games. There was no now let's start getting ourselves in order. It was go time. It was game day. But sadly today, as we look at, at just, let's look at our church. This morning, we will not sell out. In fact, if we look at our numbers, the people that call Village Bible Church their home, about 60% of them will actually be here today. Now again, there's a lot of reasons why. But we won't sell out. Uh, we came in, some of us, with not really any thought of what we were going to do or what we were going to accomplish. The last time we thought about the Lord or prayed to the Lord was the last time Cisco was up here and, and he prayed and talked about the Lord. The last time we thought about anything about what God may be wanting to do was the last time we sat in this place. And God is sitting there going, my goodness, I think I have you for the one hour, but I don't because the one hour you're here, you're not really here. And so he says, guard your steps. Well, what do we need to guard our steps about? Notice, first of all, the phrase guard or the word guard means that there's something that we aren't guarding. He doesn't just say this as if, well... They're doing everything they need to. Obviously, we're not doing something. And, and the first thing we need to guard against is apathy. Is apathy. And apathy is being here and not knowing why. And so, in modern vernacular, what, what is being asked of us is, okay, on your way to the house of God, to church, ask yourself, why am I doing this? And I want you to ask yourself that this morning. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how long you've been coming to the house of God. Ask yourself this question. Why am I here? What is the purpose of it? What is the meaning of it? Am I here because it's my tradition? Is Am I here because my mom and dad said I need to be here? Am I here because there's nothing else better to do? Am I here because I like the people? Am I here? And, and fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I don't want you to look down the aisle at anyone else. Why am I 
here. You know what I had to ask this week? Am I here because they let me talk? Am I here because I get a, 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 the lights and center stage? Would I be here if I was one of them? Just sitting in the, in the pew? Sitting in the chair? Or is it some thoughts of grandeur that got me thinking, am I here for the right reasons? You cannot accomplish what God intends for you in this moment unless you know why you are where you are for the purpose of what? And to think that just because you're here is good enough, it is clear. It says that it would be better that you not offer anything. That you busy your life with something else. And so we find ourselves altogether apathetic to why we're worshiping God. Now, when we get here, we need to guard against something else. I just want to simply call it ADD. We're distracted. So we get here, and we've yelled the entire way to the church. We were ill-prepared in getting to church, and so we're here. Maybe we're running a little late, and we come in, and we haven't thought about the Lord. We haven't opened His Word. We haven't asked the Lord to speak to us. And now we're sitting here, and it's gotten quiet, and Badal gets up to talk, and it's all Greek to you. And you already have moved on. Pastor Steve's video's got you thinking barn bash. Maybe you've moved on. Maybe you're on your phone. You know, phones are great, but, but I hate them in, in as much as this. Yes, the Bible can be on there, but so can every social media app and every distraction in the world. And so you're already gone. You've already moved on. And, and, and I, I didn't have you after the first moment. See, bad mouth football. I'm done. And so what Solomon is saying is guard your steps. So what do you do? Notice, he says, to draw near to listen. That is, you listen in order to live. And so you come to the house of God, not to do the talking, but to do the listening. And to listen to what God has to say, because your life depends on it. Now you would think, if we really believed that, that our life depended on it, we would listen to the things that we need to hear so that when that moment that our life depends on it, we'll be ready. But let me illustrate it in this way. We've all been on planes before. And we get on the plane, and the plane's taxiing away, and the wonderful flight staff says, Hey, real quick, can I have everyone's attention? Here, we need to talk about things. We need you to fasten your seatbelt, so we're going to show you how that works. We need to tell you where the exits are, because this thing could go down really, really quick. And by the way, we're going to be going over water, so this is what you do when uh, we crash and careen into the ocean. Words that we need to live. But if you notice on the flight, nobody's listening. Why? Because deep down inside, my friends, we have no thought that that's actually going to happen. Because if we really thought that that might happen, then I would have some earthly recollection of what to do with my chair as a flotation device. And I can't tell you what to do with it. I know it floats, but I don't know how to get it out. I don't know what I'm going to do. Here's the thing. 
The reason why we're distracted and the reason why being in the house of the Lord isn't a big deal is because we really don't believe at the end of the day God is going to do what He says He's going to do. And so Pastor Tim is up here like the flight attendant going through the motions and the earbuds are in and the communication is happening, the screens are on because at the end of the day, really do we believe that there's an eternity? Do we really believe that God is who He says He is? Do we really believe that what His Word says is true and that I will stand alone before Almighty God and give an account for every word and every deed that I did in the body. Because if we believe that, when it says, come to the house of the Lord and be ready, we'd be there. Nothing would distract us away from it. Now, listen. Listen to me very carefully. I wasn't here last week. So, it isn't that we just just got to stop everything. Remember, this book is written about our lives. And what it is, is it's not ever saying that pursuing other things isn't okay. It is okay. But are we simply going through the motions and missing the most important thing? And so we got to guard against this. And we've got to ask the question, what is the purpose of my time with the Lord? Am I listening? Am I learning? Because my life depends on it. Now notice what happens. We get into the house of the Lord. And He beats us up right away. And He says, It's better to listen than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Wait a minute. You're telling me if I go to church for the wrong reasons, that I'm actually doing evil. Yep. For some of us, we are doing evil right now. For some of us, it would be better we didn't show up at all. And here's why. Because he says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. And he goes on, he says, When you make a vow, do not delay paying for it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hand? And he says, all of this is true because God is the one whom we should fear. And so the first thing we've got to do is we've got to examine our walks. Write that down. We've got to examine our walks. And number two... We've got to eliminate needless words. So we go into church and we do some talking. You're like, no, but all you do all the talking. No, you were doing a lot of talking not too long ago. You came into this place and you started saying words. You started singing them to be more specific. And the words that you and I sang are words that ascribe worth and delight and affection for God. You're great. You're awesome. You're more lovely than anything in this world. I want you more than life itself. Yada, yada, yada. And we utter these words. And Solomon asks the question, do you really mean it? 
Or are you saying things? Is your mouth boasting about your relationship with God and vowing about things with you and your God? I'll fight for you, Lord. I'll walk with you, Lord. I'll go to the ends of the earth for you, Lord. And you can barely get out of your chair for the Lord. And he says, eliminate these words. Be careful. Guard yourself against these words. Because here's the thing. The God who is in heaven and you who are on earth both know that you're lying through your teeth. Because God knows your comings and goings. He knows your beginning from your end. He knows everything about you. And he sits there and he sees you saying these things. He's like, where was that on Monday afternoon? Where was that in your workplace? Where was that kind of devotion in your schools? Why is it you can amen here, but you can't amen when you're in the minority? Why is it that it's so easy for you to worship me here, but when the TV's in front of you or the screen's in front of you, I can't get a word word in edgewise? So God says... Eliminate those words. Now what he's saying is is not that we should be rendered silent. God wants to hear from us. What he's saying here is be careful that you're not boasting of things that are not true. What that means is don't mindlessly go through the motions that just because the words are on the screen that you, like a robot, just read them off. When I was growing up, I would promise things and vow things to my mother. I'll clean my room. I promise I'll do this. I promise I will do that. And my mom had this saying that I will never forget. Do you think I'm a fool? Now, the thing was, is when moms ask questions like that, don't answer. Okay? Do you think I'm a fool? Meaning, what she was saying was, Tim, I know... You know, we both know, you're blowing smoke. That ain't going to happen. Could it be that in our going through the motions, God right now is sitting up in heaven and saying to me, to you, to himself, do you think I'm a fool? You know, I know, what you're saying isn't true. And so Sunday morning should be times where maybe we stop singing. Josh is like, don't tell people that. But could it be that in moments of our singing where we sing and we see those words and we've been processing our walk with the Lord and say, no, Lord, you're right. I, I can't sing that right now. And I confess that to you. Because what you would rather have, what you want, isn't beautiful voices. What you want is contrite hearts. And so I'm going to pause and recognize I am standing before God who is an all-consuming fire. That's written in the New Testament, by the way, not the Old Testament. He's an all-consuming fire. And I'm not going to trifle with this God. So if there's things that I'm going to say, He knows and I know that what I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm feeling, what I'm believing in my heart, He can connect those things. Everyone around me sees my hands up, me with great joy singing. Man, that person's spiritual. And we need to be careful 
that these needless words that we share, these careless words that we share, these vows that we have no plan on fulfilling, what Solomon is saying is all you're involved in is a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. It would be better that you go improve your game of golf, you go to the craft fair, you spend time with your family, you do any number of things. But if you think just going through the motions is getting it done, you are sadly mistaken. And here's the problem. This is why this message is so important for us. Because as evangelicals, we are a part of the Protestant tradition. We look down our noses at our Catholic friends and and family. And we say, all that ritual, stand up, sit down, left, right, okay, smoke here, bells there, same words, same prayers. They're missing it. They're just going through the motions. Brothers and sisters, could it be said of us, though we sing different songs, and maybe pray more dynamic prayers, and maybe more passionate in our preaching, could it be said that many of us walk in, walk out, we have no remembrance of what transpired, we are unchanged, all we've done is taken a check and we've marked it off the box. So Solomon says, stop it. Guard yourself against it. This is not what God desires. So, this examination and this eliminating of words brings us to one final point, and it's a simple one. Elevate our worship. Elevate it. God is the one we should fear. That word fear is probably not the best word because of how we use fear. God is the one you must be scared of. No, that's not what God is saying. What God is saying in verse 7 is, I am the one who should have priority. I am the one who should have preeminence. I am the one who should receive your greatest passion. I am the one whom you should be most devoted to. I am the one that you should be most excited about. I am the most, the one who you most should be concerned about. This is why God is a jealous God. He sees we're concerned and excited and busy with all manner of stuff. And He's like, what did those things do to you? What do those things give to you? Were those things there when you were created? Did those things create you? Did those things knit you together in your mother's womb? Did those things do all that I've done? Did those things stay with you when you rebelled against them? Did those things walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death? Do those things give you the peace and the contentment and the joy that you long for? Are those things doing even a fraction of what I do in your life? Did those things give the best of heaven and send their son to earth to die for you? This is what God says He's done. And what He longs for us to do is to fall in love with Him. To make Him our passion. To make Him our all in all. And this morning, if you're like me, All manner of things have distracted you, have tempted you away from that singular truth. And so what God says to us is, guard your steps.
Evaluate. Eliminate the things that are getting in the way and elevate your love and affection and worship to God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out and as they do, I want us to go to a time of just quiet contemplation. It's a hard message. I didn't want to preach it once, let alone three times. But it's needed. Because God is one whom we should fear. God is the one who should have priority. And if we're really honest today, there's a lot of other priorities in our lives. And so before we sing this closing song, let's just confess the things that are getting in the way. And in a moment, can we stand and with newness of life and newness of heart and newness of commitment, articulate words of commitment that God, above all, you are, are all in all.